we go back to the summer of 2017, I moved from Houston, Texas to Antwerpen, Belgium in Central Europe. It was very exciting, a very exciting time in my life. But when we landed, it was traumatic. We had just survived Hurricane, I think that was Harvey at the time, which delayed our, our trip for a number of weeks. My wife was starting a brand new job and she was showing up late because of the hurricane for Better Leaders, Better Schools. The podcast, The Mastermind, I was going all in. It was scary. Would this idea, would this way that I show up and serve ruckus makers work? And then on top of that, with all the tiredness, right, and jet lag, we show up and we don't speak the language. Yet, our luggage lost, half of it just gone. One third of the boxes, because we moved, right? We moved internationally. A third of the boxes made it. A third of the boxes were lost. And a third the post office was holding for ransom and wanted us to buy back our own stuff. It was really hard moving to this brand new country. And here we are, right? Two people, no children, navigating a 100% brand new culture. And it was difficult. I could only imagine what it's like to bring your family to a new country, to enter the school system, and to be greeted potentially by a faculty or people around the school who say, speak our language. When folks move to the United States, because that's where I'm from and where I'm based these days, we have a lot of students that English isn't their first language. And now just a little bit, I can empathize. I could feel what it's like to be in that situation and to know how hard it can be and how much easier it can be when somebody puts forward just a little bit of effort to meet you halfway, to see you, to hear you, to make sure that you feel like you belong. And today's stellar Ruckus Maker guest He's all about creating environments that are inclusive and create belonging for all families. You're going to love his story. I certainly did. And I can't wait to bring you his conversation up next. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your continuous growth. You challenge the status quo and you design the future of school now. And we will return to our regularly scheduled conversation in just a second after a few show sponsorship messages. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Programs run from February 15th to March 15th, 2023. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. 
Well, hello, Ruckus Makers. I'm joined today by Brian Miltenberg. And I met Brian. We were in, uh, was it? No, it was Kentucky. So we met, which right. was super cool, at a, uh, at a little event for uh, principals at the conference. I think that was NAESP and another New Yorker, but like, you know, the city, the real New York. So got to meet him. That was super cool. And I invited him to the show. So somebody that I'm developing a friendship with, super excited to bring you this this conversation. Let me read the bio. Brian is a proud principal of Akabog Elementary School in Riverhead, New York. He's been a teacher, a dean, and middle school assistant principal, and has presented and published on topics including school climate and culture, instructional technology, self-aware leadership, inclusivity, time management, and co-teaching partnerships. And against all logic, I can confirm this. He remains a suffering, lifelong Mets and Jets fan. Maybe we should start there, Brian. Why? Why the Jets? Why the Mets? Like, why do that to yourself? Well, we don't choose these things, Danny. You know, these things get handed down to us. The Mets from my grandfather, the Jets, I got it. Who could really say? But, you know, once you get started, you can't go back. You know, I'm so far down this road. I just have to keep going. I have to keep going. That's called sunk cost, right? And what yeah, I try, exactly. <laughs> what I try to teach, you know, teach leaders, you always have a choice. So at any time, right, you can hop on the Bills Mafia bandwagon. Mets are doing all right this year, you know, and Yankees yeah. are doing okay. So there's some good feelings in the group chat. Not gonna lie, you know, we're doing all right. Yeah. All right, brilliant. And I believe I think you're a principal now, right? If I understand correctly. I so that's super super cool. So I wanna I want you to bring us to a story about somebody named Jocelyn. And I'd love for you to tell us how she illustrates what you're trying to do with your families at your school. Absolutely, Danny. And, you know, when we met, we were at NAESP. We were doing a a presentation on, we call it transformational inclusivity. And by the way, we don't walk around our school calling ourselves transformational because I think that would go over well, but it was a good for the presentation. But, you know, what we're trying to do is really make it so that our students, our staff and our families feel like school is home for them and they feel at home at school. So of course, you know, that's kind of an idealized version of home because for some of our kids, we want it to feel better than home based on whatever might be going on at home. But for us, what home means is a place where you're welcomed, you're accepted and you're celebrated unconditionally. So a problem that, you know, a challenge that we found we were having in our school is that with the rapid growth that we were seeing in our Spanish-speaking population. And now over the past few years, we're a majority Spanish-speaking community. We had an amazing security team. Shout out to Claire and Peter. They were great. And they were the first face that was seeing our parents uh, when they were coming in. In elementary school, parents come in all the time. A lot of different things going on, different needs that they need addressed. But despite being awesome people, because they don't speak what really has become the dominant language in our community... The first experience that our families were having upon arriving to our school is one of being misunderstood. And that experience is one of struggle, right? And not only we never want our families to struggle, but especially not in their very first time, in that very first moment when they come up and they have something that they're trying to do and they can't get it done. So, 
you know, we had the opportunity to hire what we wanted to call a greeter, someone who would be there for them. And we found a couple of amazing, a couple of amazing candidates from our community who would be able to do that. One was a Spanish speaker and one wasn't. And we had to make that hard decision between two high quality candidates, one who has a background even in our district, but one can provide that experience for our families so that when they come up to our school, they're understood with a smile and they can get their needs met. And the best part about that is it does so in a way that doesn't detract from anybody else, right? So it's a lot like it's a lot like that ramp versus steps graphic that we've all probably seen, right? Because Jocelyn is an amazing person. She can help any, she can help any of our parents, but especially she can be that bridge for our families so that they feel like they don't have to change who they are to come and get what they need from us. And so, you know, I tell that story not to say that it's radical to have a greeter or to have a bilingual person, but because it's symbolic of what we're trying to do in terms of telling kids, families, and staff, we accept you as you are. We're going to make the adjustments that we need to make to support you rather than force you to do something you may not be able to do yet. You may be learning English, but you can't communicate in English yet. So that shouldn't impede you from getting your needs met. And she's just an awesome person, right? Who brings so much joy to our school, but also can connect with kids because she's come up in a similar way to the way a lot of our kids are coming up. Kids who have come from different, who come from different countries and come to us really quickly after arriving here in the States. Yeah. And you know, leadership service, right? So it's a, it's a small touch, it makes a lot of sense for your community where the majority of folks, uh, their native language is, is Spanish. And so, of course, you know, just you want people to feel like they belong, that they're important, that you see them and hear them <laughs> literally and figuratively, right, in this case. And yeah, elementary, you're still, you know, worried about your babies and what that school experience is like. And so you make the adjustment, right, as a school. Even if your community wasn't majority Spanish speaking and you had the opportunity to hire somebody like that, and you had a good percentage of folks that spoke Spanish, what a way to communicate, right? To those potential, like a minority, right? Group that like, hey, you matter. And Jocelyn obviously can speak fluently in English as well. So it's just a huge win-win scenario. I love you sharing that story there. You know, what are some other ways, Brian, that you are creating, you know, what you might call unconditional belonging or transformational belonging at your school? Yeah, you know, I think for us, it's about, you know, understanding that for our families, you know, as I said, you know, our demographics change so quickly. And for our sister principal and myself and our staff to understand that we can't necessarily speak for our families because we don't know what exactly they're coming from. We can imagine, but we can't do what we do based on what we think people might be experiencing. So for us, you know, it's all about asking. It's all about listening. So the different mechanisms that we put in place, serving our students, serving our families, having listening sessions with our students, uh, including students on our school-wide leadership team, so many ideas, you know, have come out of things like that. You know, and it's just things you don't think of because you're going through your day with just your perspective, right? I mean, we all, we have all have an eyes problem is we only have two of them and we can only see one way out of them. So like you have to get the perspective of others when you're trying to build something that's inclusive. And then, you know, for us, 
a big part of that, again, goes back to trying to make sure that as we go forward with the hiring that we can do, and we've been really fortunate to be able to do a lot of hiring in the past couple of years coming out of the pandemic with some of the federal funding, is to make it really clear who the, you know, that the person that and people that come in have to embody that message of inclusivity and belonging. And a lot of times, you know, we've had to go outside the traditional structures for hiring because what we're trying to do now, you know, we're built, we're building a dual language program. We've never had that here. And probably we could talk about that in the course of a different question, but those candidates are extremely hard to find, right? So we've had to go outside our typical hiring structures. We've got to partner with local colleges. We've actually gone and visited undergraduates just to talk to them, to try to build relationships with them before they even get their certification so that they come to see us, you know, diverse candidates, culturally, linguistically diverse candidates come to see us as a place that they want to be. And we want to become known as a place where if you believe in that, if you're passionate about that, that, you know, is where you want to be. And then for us, like, it's just thinking about our school through the perspective of our students, you know, both our students who have been in our town for 150 years, which is many of our families. And we have students who came to the country yesterday and they're coming to our school this morning. That looks so different for different kids. So what can we do over the course of the school day to make that student feel that there's a sense of acceptance? And it's a support network for sure, but it's also giving opportunities for students to show that they might not speak they may not speak English yet, but their language is valuable. So we've done a lot of work on how we can show our students that Spanish languages, we always, the words we always use are beautiful and powerful. So doing things like morning announcements in Spanish and English. Right now it's Hispanic Heritage Month. We actually have our students coming up each day to say the pledge. And after they say the pledge, they'll actually teach the Spanish word of the day to the whole school over the announcement. So you can feel that kind of energy. And you can see that sense of pride when kids language and culture is acknowledged going from a world where kids weren't, you know, to, to speak your native language when you're in English only school might be frowned upon to now where it's encouraged and kids, me, you know, at least speaking Spanish on the announcements and they want to come up to me. They want to show me that they speak Spanish and they want to talk to me. And so when you can show the kids that what they bring to the table is something to be proud of, you know, that's when they feel, I do think that's when they feel accepted and encouraged. And that's when they're going to do their best work. I love so much of what you said, Brian, you know, one, schools just getting very creative in terms of hiring. And so you were talking about like working through different channels and mechanisms. You can't just rely on it being the old way of how teachers would come to your school. So the fact that you are planting seeds, getting out ahead, you know, meeting with undergrads and that kind of thing to establish those relationships. You know, one of, one of the ideas I heard from an assistant superintendent that I'm close with, he doesn't, he teaches a course, right? As an adjunct professor, doesn't pay very well. It's more work, right? He does enjoy the back and forth, you know, with his students, so to speak, but it's able to build strong relationships with those students who will be looking for teaching jobs. And it's just a pipeline. It's a pipeline to his district. And then the other thing too, is as you're planting those seeds, just to connect some more dots with ruckus makers, you know, we talk a lot about uh, your school story. What's that story that you're telling out there? What are those values? We talk about something called sticky core values on this podcast. 
And then, you know, I've worked with leaders creating what I call their remarkable vision, right? So over the next three years, what are they doing within their school? A number of different domains, but to create a space and place that people are excited about, right? That the buzz is about you in the community that folks come to and want to work for. And I think you're doing that as well, Brian. So appreciate you unpacking that. So you're talking a lot about belonging. We're talking about inclusivity and your passion started ages ago in maybe an unlikely place. I don't know. The punk scene. So can you tell us that story? Yeah, you know, I, so we're all, we all bring our passions and our past to our leadership, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. None of, nobody leads in a vacuum. Like all the sum total of our experiences impacts every decision that we make, right? So, you know, when I think about how I got to this place and I took a really probably more circuitous route than most educators, but, you know, I was a kid who was trying to find that sense of belonging. You know, I was lost. I was trying to find where I fit and what spoke to me. And when I found that, you know, punk rock, hardcore scene, when I first fell in love with the music and then actually getting out into the physical spaces of, you know, the shows, the local shows, the VFW shows, all that stuff. For the first time in my life, I was like, this is me. You know, these are my people. And I feel like I don't, and they're strangers, right? But you have a bond. If you have this, you're entering this community where anything is accepted, where you are accepted and deliberating the aspect of that feeling is incredible. And that's, and that stayed with me, you know, even as I become an old, an old man and, you know, I can't be seen at the punk shows anymore. Right. You know, I can remember really visceral. I have a really visceral memory of, you know, being a teenager and getting into it right at the punk show, the hardcore show, wherever. And things used to get pretty physical, you know, back in the day. I don't know if it still rolls like that these days, but you know, what most sticks out to me is you can be getting knocked around, getting elbowed in the face, whatever. But the one thing anyone will tell you is when you go, if you fall down on the ground, the first thing you're going to see when you open your eyes is 10 hands reaching down to pull you up. And it might be the guy who just elbowed you in the head or whatever, but that's the unwritten rule of that scene. And no one has to tell it to you. It's a known thing. And once it's been done to you, you're going to do it to the next person you see on the floor because it gets lifted up, you know, no matter how hard things are, everyone gets picked back up. And so to me, you know, when I think of the sense of belonging and community that I found and that hand reaching down, you know, I realize now since I became an educator, that's what I've been trying to do and trying to be for kids. And now, you know, as a teacher, you try to do that for your individual kids. But as you move on and become a leader, you're trying to create a culture where that's the case, right? Where there's always going to be a hand reaching down to pull you up. And you're going to learn that you got to then turn that and be the hand to pull the next person up, no matter what, right? No matter who they are, different, whatever, you know, different country, different language, doesn't matter. To me, that's really where the core of sense of inclusivity, being in it together really came from for me. So trying to make a school to be a place like that, you know, maybe not a place where people are getting elbowed or, you know, by slammed or whatever. <laughs> we don't want the elbows right? in the heads, but the metaphor of yeah. who are you lifting up, like, I think that's a really important one for ruckus makers to think. So, you know, make sure you meditate and reflect on that question. Who are you lifting up, you know, intentionally within your community? 
and uh, make a plan around that too. Is there a favorite punk band that you want to just share with the Ruckus Maker listening? If they're not into it and they're going to go check out that kind of music, like here's, start here. This is the one. Oh God, I don't know, man. You know, I went through so many, There were through, you go through so many different phases, you know, sure, as a kid. Sure, so sure. what would be, what would be an all timer? I mean, I, when I first got into it, it was more like skate punk, no FX, Pennywise, that kind of thing. And then moving over to, you know, you get to the pop punk. I'm going, I'm not going to go through all the sub genres with you. Okay. Right? I don't want to get too <laughs> esoteric with you. Yeah. yeah you give us but, three. Uh, I mean, that's a good, that's uh, a good start. So we'll, we'll offer that to the ruckus makers. And, you know, if you want to go check out some of those bands, I think you said skate punk. So start there. Right. So cool. No, um, but honestly, yeah, and, that, that's, and that was the message. And, I, and that was the message in the, in the music too. And, you know, for me, that's a lot of where my views on, you know, whether it's, anti-racism, anti-sexism really were formed in that, in that community, you know, so a very powerful place. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I want to ask you about your, you know, student teaching experience. You received some pretty tough feedback, right? But you heard it, but here you are. You were a teacher and you're a principal. So tell us the story, like what was the feedback you received and why did you stick with education? (laughs) Well, you know, I shared that story with you because for me, it's really been the beginning of my path toward, you know, what you say, and this is one of the reasons I really connected with you at NASP when I was in your presentation. You know, one of the things you say again and again is to invest in yourself. And so, yeah, when I was, I didn't come to teaching right away. I started out my career. I worked in a couple of different funny places, man. I worked for an asbestos law firm. You know, you ever hear those commercials? It's like, if you've been exposed to asbestos, you may be entitled yeah. to compensation. I'm so I tried better that. call Saul type vibes. Yeah, energy, exactly. So. <laughs> so I thought I might be, I thought I might become a lawyer. I worked in book publishing because I, I was a reader. You know, I really wanted, I was really passionate about books, but you know, ultimately I found out I was looking for something more, man. I was looking for a bigger impact. And so, you know, I come from a family of teachers, but of course, when you come from a family of teachers, one person in the family has got to rebel and be like, I'm never going to do that. But uh, all of a sudden I started to come around to it. So I was like, you know what? I don't have any experience with it. I was never worked with kids growing up. I'm going to try it because, you know, because I'm passionate about the impact that I could make. But I'll tell you, when I started my student teaching, like, I was struggling, man. I, would, I was struggling. It didn't come naturally to me at all. It didn't come naturally to me. And my student teaching supervisor in our first post conversation. I couldn't believe this. He said to me, he was like, you know, you don't really have to go through with this if you don't want to. And I was like, wow, dude, that's okay. That's a form of feedback. Like (laughs) you're going to, you're going to push me out of this on my first go round. And so like on the one hand, like that's kind of like devastating to hear. It's not what you want to hear, but at the same time, like something clicked in me in that moment to be like, no, just to be like, not going that way. Like I'm going to, and maybe it put a chip on my shoulder, but like, I'm going to figure this thing out. And so what I had to figure out was not just figure out how to teach because that was the primary thing, but I had to figure out how to figure out how to teach. You know what I mean? Because I felt like my university classes were, they were giving me a good pace of learning, but like, if I was going to make it, I had to accelerate it, man. Cause I was doing teaching in New York city. It was tough, you know, it was tough. Like you, I had to learn in dog years. And so I figured out like, what am I going to do? So for me, it was like, all right, whatever area I'm struggling in, I, I'm going to get the five first 
rated books that I can find and I'm just going to devour this and see what I can take out of it, implement it and move on. And for me, like that, that started a path of what, you know, what I would really say is thinking about the way you say of just investing in myself and just understanding that. And it was liberating in a way, you know, that comment, because it just said, well, I'm at the bottom, you know, I can only go up from here and I don't expect my, I don't expect myself to be good. So whatever I can do to add to what I am bringing to the table, let's go, you know? So that started my journey of, you know, my personal professional development outside of the other professional developments that were offered to me, which were great. But like, I feel like if you really, you know, if I really wanted to get to where I needed to be, like, like I said, I had to accelerate my own learning. So that's really how I became like a self-driven kind of investing in myself person. And it's taken a lot of different forms, you know, over time, whether it's books, podcasts, conferences, whatever, you know, it all kind of goes into the soup. But, you know, that's what's drive what's driving me is just knowing that I can't always be better and I want to be better. And so I'm lucky to be, you know, part of a community now that really supports leaders to get better. And it's not just about where you are at currently, but where you could be. So I'm grateful, you know, my leadership the leadership that I have right now sees that and values that. It's a great story. I really appreciate you sharing it and being vulnerable because we see that kind of feedback, right? That is tough. You don't have to go through with it. And the thing is, you know, you have a choice, right? You don't have to go through with it. And there's nothing wrong with that route, right? You can find something that potentially could be your passion or your zone of genius or, you know, whatever it is that where you want to serve. And that's totally okay. So just like being a Jets or Mets fan, like you could choose, you can, cha- you can change. But the other thing is, if you feel like, you know what, I think this is for me. I'm going to receive that feedback and, you know, it's hard to accept at the time, but I accept it and I'm going to work at becoming proficient and great at what I do. That's another choice, but you have to put in the work. And so I admire that you bounce back up, you know, lifted yourself up, right? And then decided, okay, I'm going to be very intentional in growing myself. The worst thing you could have done is saying, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't receive that feedback. And then right. you could have become like the world's worst teacher, right? But instead, you really grew yourself. It actually reminds me, I don't know if you saw The Last Dance. And since you are a New Yorker, probably a Knicks fan maybe. But, you know, Jordan really beat you guys up for a lot of years, you know? Well, I'm happy to say one thing I did avoid was being a Knicks fan. So okay. I'm not All a right. Knicks fan. I dodged that bullet at least. All right. Sweet. But I really love the documentary, right? The Last Dance that Netflix put on about the legendary Bulls, yeah, yeah. which ru- ruined my life in a sense because I grew up as a, you know, I'm 11, 12, 13. They're just winning all the championships. And now I had this expectation that your home team right. should just always win. And that's... Yeah, because you're a Chicago yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what I learned about Jordan, I didn't know about this. He used to make up conflict with his peers, right? The other athletes, like things that they said about him or just beef in general, he would fabricate that because it, it gave him an edge because he wanted to prove he wanted to prove him wrong in a made up situation of how they how they like offended him or whatever. And um, I haven't done that yet. But when people do give feedback, that's hard to take. Like you, I'm like, well, let me show you. 
that you're wrong. And it helps me get to that next level for sure. So, but, but, you know, I just, I want to stop there for a second because I think what you're saying is really interesting, you know, because I see now that at the time I took that feedback as motivation. I worked my tail off and I became a really good teacher. I would, I could think I can really say within a couple of years, but I see now the were all the work that I was doing for a long time, for a long part of my career was to try to, you know, I think, I don't know if you rock with Brene Brown at all, but she says, please, please perfect perform, you know, to try to prove people like that wrong, right? To try to prove that I can do this, to try to prove that I can be the best and I'm going to get better and better and no one's going to pull holes in my game. And I see now I'm making the transition where, you know, I think she calls it healthy striving versus perfectionism. Whereas healthy striving is self-focused. It's like, I want to get better because I want to make an impact and because I want to be better for myself. And perfectionism is I got to get better because I don't want to be exposed to not to be not good because I don't want anyone to see that I'm not as good as they think I am, you know, imposter syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, you know, when I think about, you think about someone like Jordan, right? Like he was working, he he invented that and everything, he seems so motivated by like anger and animus, you know, and he achieved like amazing things, but would any of us want to live that life while achieving it and the yeah, sort of yeah. emotional headspace that he seems to have? And you see his Hall of Fame speech, like he's still angry. Oh, yeah. It's not a very positive, but you're right. not like rooting for him. You're like, wow, this is what you're saying and you've accomplished everything. I really appreciate, you know, the pushback and that's a valid, you know, valid point. So that healthy striving for sure is like, you know, where we need to be. I think for myself, you know, in the early days of this, because one, I remember getting some feedback from all my friends and family, better leaders, better schools, terrible idea. It's not going to work. Well, I remember you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. That motivated me in the early days. And I had a very tough principal position in Houston and a difficult relationship with my supervisor and very hard feedback and stuff. And that was motivating for a time, but that all I can, part of my story too, is in the summer of 2018, that wanting to show them wrong or that chip on my shoulder, it all melted away. And I think I did transition because I, I hit some professional milestones that I had set for myself. And then unlike taking the continued Jordan route and, you know, just harboring that resentment, right? I was really exploring the internal side of leadership, right? The inner space and saying, oh, I don't want to carry this anymore. I've been super successful. So what else is possible, especially if I let go and leave that behind and just focus on service and focus on others. So that is a part of my story. But it did start off with this uh, chip on my shoulder for sure. Yeah, well, Brian, for hey, sure. we got to take a quick break here from uh, for a message from our sponsors. When we get back, I would like to just, because you were in the audience, I'd love to ask you about what it's like to experience me as a speaker and then get to the questions we ask everybody at the end of the show. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is proudly sponsored by Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. I know many mastermind members and many ruckus makers who listen to this show that have gone through the program and have loved the experience. But don't just take it from me. Let's hear how some of the Harvard faculty describe the impact and their heart for this program. I deeply believe that every single person on this planet has superpowers, and it is our job as educators to tap into them and unleash them. Learn more about the program and apply at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. 
Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with the ruckus maker, Brian Miltenberg, who's a proud principal, a punk rock enthusiast, and struggling, suffering Mets and Jets fan. We will we'll lift you up out of that somehow, <laughs> some way, Brian. This, you know, it may sound self-serving, but I am really curious what it's like to experience me in the audience in speaking. And um, part of it is I just want a feedback loop and to hear like how that was for you, you know, and hopefully I'll learn some things that I can amplify it and help me be even better. But selfishly, I want ruckus makers to hear this too, because I would love to come support, right? Your community, your school, your staff, your district, or I'm doing live events. By the time this goes live, like you don't know this, but I'll tell you, we're hosting a BLBS live event. It's in January. So it's already done by the time this is produced and it's in Costa Rica, right? Oh, it's going to, wow. yeah. Yeah. And the vision, because I'm talking, anticipating what it's like, even though this recording's coming out and it's happened. And uh, there's actually a story, if I could share it really quick too. So there's a pre-event dinner is what I'm planning on January 12th, two days of live leadership training. It's about mindset, optimizing personal performance, then a day of outdoor leadership training and adventure experience. So like bucket list level, like epic stuff that you'll be able to tell all your friends that you did. And hey, New York in January kind of sucks, the weather. Like, let's be honest. No doubt. And so, you know, I had to pick a place that's going to be amazing. So we're going to Costa Rica to have our live event in January. So the story, very short, I want to share. One of my good friends, Mitch Weathers, who has organized Binder, he said, Danny, you're a great coach. Put out content, podcasts, helps a lot of people. I don't know if you know this, your superpower is actually creating live experiences, right? And so NAESP is a little bit different because I was just doing a talk and like, I didn't build that thing. But when I build the whole thing, like I found out that's actually my superpower. So I want to get, I want to get hopefully listeners excited about, you know, potentially working with me in that way too. So yeah, I don't know. What was it like for you to be in the audience and when I was doing the talk? Well, you know, I think the reason why I connect so much with what you bring to the table, whether it's, you know, the podcast or the presentation is because like you don't live on the surface of leadership, you know, you live under you, you are really good, both like with your guests and in your presentation at seeing what's underneath. Right. So we, we all have these surface the surface level aspects of leadership. And those are super important, but it's really far more, I think to me, both more interesting, more critical to look at what's underneath. Look at what's going on with us, you know, like I would call it like self-leadership before we ever get out into the world. So when you're talking about like things like investing in yourself, how do you create a sense of authentic authenticity? How do you be authentic to yourself so that you show up in an authentic way? You know, I think that really resonates. And I was, yeah, I was thinking about it. It was funny. Like when I was going, I remember when I was going into your session it was very well attended, but I think it was like the session next door was something like, you know, 99 ways to jumpstart faculty meetings or something like that, which is an awesome topic. And we all need great ways to jumpstart faculty meetings. Don't get me wrong, but like 
that was that session was really well attended too, but it's just the opposite. You know, that I feel like is very much like the surface level and like, yes, we all need that. And yes, I even, I didn't even go to the session, but I got something from the guy because he was wearing light up shoes outside of his session <laughs> to pump people up. And I ended up asking him where he got them from. And I ordered them for the first day of school. But, but like, you know, we can all, we, we can all see that. We can all get a list of that and we can go do it. But to me, like what you're doing is something deeper to look under the hood of yourself as a leader, you know, like when you're talking about self-awareness and how that impacts how we show up for other people and the things that are hidden inside our decisions that we don't even realize until we really start to unpack and start to become familiar with self-awareness, bias, you know, internal biases and the things that you talk about. So yeah, it's, fa- it's fascinating for me. And, uh, you know, I was definitely leaving there pumped up and summertime was a great time to do it because you really can invest in yourself. And so like, you know, I was faced with a decision like many principals probably anytime, but really, especially over the summer, right? Like you can, I always feel like as the principal, you can sit there. I could do email right now for the next six hours and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be done. I could, I always have the option to just keep going and keep doing more email, which will produce more email back to me and the cycle will keep going. But when I think about, you know, like what you say about investing in yourself, it's like, well, you know, what about this book, this research that I've been wanting to do? And if I could, if I, you know, two hours on that, and whether it's during the school day or at night or whatever, versus two hours of doing more emails, you know, what's the long-term impact of that? One is just keeps the wheel turning and the other can be a game changer down the line, not tomorrow, right? It's not always an immediate impact, which is why it's hard for leaders to step back because there's always something more pressing in your face right now that you can check off and get, you know, the dopamine hit of checking something off your list, which is a great feeling. But ultimately, is it that your long-term development? Yeah. We're playing the long game and it's the uh, tension between urgent and significant. So decide what's more important to you. Well, Brian, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be? We had the opportunity to do this recently because we we're built, we we're creating some parking lot flags that actually just got put up today. So we're really excited about it. So they have a few different messages that our team came up with, but the most important one to me was you belong here. And that's for the students, but it's not just for the students, it's for the staff, it's for the families to tell them that they do belong here and they're unconditionally accepted as they are. And that doesn't mean that we all don't want to get better at stuff. Doesn't mean students don't want to get better at stuff that they don't, that they don't want to learn English or improve their behavior or whatever. But you're accepted here and valued and celebrated here as you are in this moment without condition, truly without condition. And we'll work on the other stuff later. But you know, showing all people that they have value right now, right here. And Brian, if you were building your dream school, you weren't limited by any resources. Your only limitation was your imagination. How would you build your dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? Yeah, you know, since I've been listening to your show, you always think about how you would answer this, right? And yeah. I think if you had asked me like five, five years ago, I would have talked about technology and facility and all the resources that we could get. And it's funny, man, now that I'm a principal, I view it totally differently. So my question for you is, can I bend time in this scenario? Is that something I can do? Uh, I think that's like the ultimate ruckus maker energy. So I've never had anybody... Spend time. Let's do it. 
Yeah. Like, so like, you know, the, honestly, my dream, you know, is to be able to really have what I would call a teaching and learning organization where teachers are learners, because that's what's so exciting to me about this job is that you're always, is that you're always learning. But the challenge and the tension comes in because of when you're going to do it, because teaching is like six full-time jobs into one. So if we could bend time such that teachers can be teaching a full day, but also have the opportunity to explore, collaborate, research, read, you know, truly be the professional learners that, you know, I know at least our staff, you know, wants to be, they want those opportunities. They're so hungry for it, but fitting it all in with everything else we're doing. So, you know, guiding principles, number one is we're all learners, you know, we're all learners on a journey to continue to continuously learn. And then when you can have that in place, then you can empower people to do to take risks, to do things because people who are learning are the one, the people, who, you know, the people who are learning because they're the people who are coming up to you with ideas, right? And what if we did this and can we try this? And like most of the time it's like, hell yeah, we can try that. Like why <laughs> yeah. not? Like I love when I can say that, you know, there's a few times when you can't because it might just be, you know, a two, two beyond the pale. But, you know, when you, to me, like a, a true teaching and learning organization is going to unlock so many doors beyond just what I, the principal could dream up, right? I'm only one brain, you know what I mean? But a hundred brains working together will come up with incredible things you can never imagine. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Brian, so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Just to be that hand reaching down, lifting someone up when they fall, you know, like we talked about earlier. And if you have, if you have the power to create or change an organization such that you're going to have many hands reaching down to lift people up. Doesn't mean people will never fall, but it does mean that there'll always be, there'll always be someone there to pick you up and get you going again. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.